0: And we are recording for the original Fly, 1958, Contrarians Corner.
1: (laughs) Yes. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my Peruvian counterpart, Julio. Yeah, it's been, we've done at least, what, a dozen episodes since we tackled Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis?
0: Yeah. It was, in a way, it was last year.
1: Yes, it was. It was year five. And we're going back, what, 30 years before that, and... Something like and
0: 80 years before today.
1: <laughs> Hold on. I can do it. Uh, we tried
0: this in the original Walter Mitty episode and it was so embarrassing. I think I actually had to cut it out. 60 years. 60 years yeah, from yeah. today. Yeah. 30 years from the original.
1: Give or take a few. 60. Okay.
0: It was a long, long 61. time
1: ago. <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away.
0: Vincent Price was, was a get.
1: Oh, goddamn right. Um, Yes, we are here rounding out the autumn of remakes with this bonus episode covering Kind of going reverse, being that we did the Cronenberg 86 remake We are discussing the 58 original, directed by Kurt Newman Who has uh, made a niche for himself in the uh, drive-in theater monster movie type thing that whole field, that old chestnut, adapted The Fly, the story from the, uh, as we'd confused it with Walter Mitty, <laughs> a short story published in a June
0: 57 issue of Playboy. That surprised me because this story is so sexy. Yes. That, I mean, even uh, Vincent Price, who's who's an older gentleman in this movie already, but The sex appeal exuding from him.
1: I mean, yeah, 1957. I want to see some Gams and I want to read about a science (laughs) experiment gone awry. 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. And we've actually, one of the only times we've had one of our listeners record an audio segment (laughs) just to bury a movie and send it in.
0: (laughs) And that was a sincere warning. Yeah. And yet we took it the completely different way. You took it as encouragement.
1: Yeah. Our buddy Hans, our logo designer. Told us to stray away from this beaten path. But if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, first of all, we'd like to thank you for the listen. Second of all, uh, what we like to do here is find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a.k.a. certified fresh. Not always certified, but in the the fresh realm. We stick in 85% and up is typically our uh, ballpark. Make a case for why it is not that way. On the other side of the coin, if we find a movie that's rotten, typically 30s and below, make a case for the good in it. Just to show that you can be over the moon about anything, art is subjective, and that inherently Rotten Tomatoes is a flawed system.
0: Yes. There's no black and white here. Not Mm -hmm. even... I expected this movie to be black and white. I did too. Because there's still movies from this era that were in black and white. Do you think we accidentally watched a colorized version? (laughs) Yeah, there's a colorized Casablanca out there. Yeah. Uh,
1: No, this was definitely the original.
0: I mean, I don't think it would have made much of a difference.
1: No. So, being that it's 95%, we will be... Trashing this movie, going into it.
0: We will trash the fly.
1: That's right. Much like the 86 counterpart. And if you want to know how we really feel, stick around for the second half of the podcast entitled Real Talk. I am very sick, so Julio is going to be taking a lot of the reins on this. (laughs) He's going to be holding on the, the bull by the horns. Uh, but we'll we'll get through this.
0: Only grabbing the fly by the wings. so Much to speak. like
1: yeah, much like Andre, we'll we'll get through this one way or another. <laughs> May have to be flattened by the end of this. But <laughs> at
0: some point, I'll just ask you to tap twice or once, <laughs> depending on how you feel about the movie.
1: So ninety five percent. What were critics saying about this?
0: All right. So as we've encountered uh, in our our journey down the the path of the contrary. Um, Really old movies, they don't get that many reviews. Typically not. Yeah, and which helps their standing in a way because they they need less reviews to be fresh. Uh, so that might be a case of that here. There's only a handful of reviews. Yeah, and there were like three negative ones but only one that had a quote. So on the second half when we get to real talk, you'll see that we've gone back to all we'll faithful replay Hans's <laughs> Yes. I thought about it. <laughs> if I if I looked at this earlier, I would have asked him to at least type like a mini review and send it to me, but uh, I guess we've heard out already. Yeah. Uh anyway, three fresh quotes from the tomato meter, starting with Leslie Combemail uh, from Cinema Siren who says, "A must for all monster movie fans." Uh, then Rob Vaughn from Flipside Movie Emporium says that squeaky little help me is still creepier than anything our post Scream horror crop can conceive. All those classic quotes, taking a taking a shot at the Scream franchise, anything after the Scream franchise.
1: No, I, I interpret that as anything after the first Scream, after so.
0: the, <laughs> Scream Two and beyond. Anything post '96. Out of it. Um, finally, Dennis Schwartz from Ozu's World Movie Reviews says, There's something truly fly about this unparalleled fly story that zaps you right in the old guts. I don't think he could work in enough <laughs> fly puns into that. Very proud of himself on that one.
1: Very. Uh, as we tend to do from time to time, uh, not necessarily that this movie is as convoluted as some of the other ones that we've covered, but we always like to dip our toe and visit our old friend Wikipedia for a quick uh, synopsis. So to bring us up to speed in this, because it took me a, a minute to catch on to what was going on. Number one, Vincent Price doesn't even get top billing. What the fuck?
0: That, it took us a solid 10 minutes to simulate that. Yeah. They refer to this movie as Vincent Price's The Fly.
1: Yes. Even like movies today, like... I'm trying to... Of course, I'm blanking of an example right now, but even characters that are going to get off half, half an hour into it, even if they're the top star, <laughs> they're still going to get top billing.
0: Yeah, this is more like... Uh, Vincent Price presents The Fly. Like, you know, when they try to sell you a movie as produced by Coppola, but they mm-hmm. try to... From the director of The Godfather, he's producing this one. Yeah. <laughs> from the guy that played Dracula? Vincent Price? From Vincent Price <laughs> comes The Fly. I mean, no wanting to jump too far ahead, but the thing is, Vincent Price is not even playing the John Getz character from the remake. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of... A side character that doesn't do much. He's the fun uncle. (laughs) Uncle Francois. In
1: Montreal, Quebec, Canada, scientist André Delambre, played by David Hedison, is found dead with his head and arm crushed in a hydraulic press. Although his wife, Helene, Patricia Owens, confesses to the crime, she refuses to provide a motive and begins acting strangely. In particular, she's obsessed with flies, including a supposedly white-headed fly. André's brother, Francois... Vincent Price, thank you. Lies and says that he caught the white-headed fly, and thinking he knows the truth, Helene explains the circumstances surrounding Andre's death. So, first of all, this movie's not linear. It's like, uh, fiction. Mi- yeah, <laughs> it's twenty minutes of setting everything up, and then we go back. Fucking, I don't know how long it was—two weeks,
0: <laughs> right? So it's twenty minutes of you waiting for Vincent Price to become the fly. And then we jump back in time and Vincent Price is pretty much gone from the movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was basically, I guess they got 20 minutes into it and then <laughs> negotiations fell through with his agent and they're like, all right, we need to rethink how we're doing this. So
0: Vincent Price goes, uh, no, I, I want more money. What are you going to do? Write me out of the movie?
1: Well, we already got the end shot, so we'll just have to figure out how we do this. So, Francois Vincent Price now is looking at a new life as he's going to have to take over for he's going to have to take over affairs for his nephew Philippe. Uh, as Helene is getting transported to the Nut because they they think that she's gone fucking insane.
0: Except that they're taking their sweet time. Doing this, yes,
1: because uh, at first she was potentially on trial for murder, so right. she may not even go to the nut house yet. But they have like a nurse on standby watching her, and everyone thinks she's gone mad.
0: So it didn't. This didn't click for me until the very end, because so Francois, I mean, it's not like Vincent Price is even trying to be French here. But nope. they have a, a butler, an assistant that's just being extra French, I think, to make up for everybody else. He sounds like Lumiere from uh, Beauty and the Beast. Yes, uh, and I think he's the the guy that finds the body, right? Mm-hmm. So. So I was like, "Are they in France?" I'm like, yeah, it's, it's fifty-eight. I mean, 57, 58, They don't care. Yeah, you know, it's like France by way of the United States. But then at the end of the movie, when there's when, when they finally arrive to take her to, to the the madhouse, uh, it says Quebec on the side of. So they're in Canada. So that explains suddenly why everybody's so just chill about this murder investigation.
1: (laughs) At first, I thought like this was supposed to be taking place in like L.A. or somewhere in California. And I thought it was an accident. They showed Montreal on the side of one of the buildings. (laughs) Because you always hear it's a lot cheaper to film in Canada.
0: Yeah, no, this is 100%. It's still not good. But once you realize that this is taking place in Canada, I understand because Vincent Price... The fact that his brother was isn't just dead but was murdered in such a gruesome manner, he, he's just like a little confused, but he's not particularly devastated by anything. Yeah. He's just kind of eh well and he he still has the hots for his uh sister in law. I was
1: about to say, yeah, the the police chief or the whoever the officer is on the case just kind of asks Francois you're in love with her, aren't you? And he's like, of course, I've always loved her, but she fell in love with my brother. Uh, Uh, Why not?
0: Yeah, but but it's like, he is pretty lackadaisical about it. The inspector is also kind of, they have a confession (laughs) from from this woman. And I mean, she's just- They're like, let's see how this plays (laughs) out. Right. For the entire movie, uh, she is just chilling in her bedroom, getting breakfast in bed
1: obsessing over flies.
0: Yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty sweet lie for somebody who's actually admitted that they murdered their husband.
1: So Helene wants to come clean, but she doesn't think anyone will believe her. She wants to tell Francois everything that's happened, um, but she makes him promise that he has this elusive white-headed fly that he's heard so much about up until this point. There's even, uh, at one point, I think leading into this, Philippe tells Francois about finding this white-headed fly in the garden and his mom made him Take it back. So when he promises her that he has this white-headed fly in captivity somewhere, she admits that she's just feigning being crazy to cover things up. So this is where negotiations fell through with Vincent Price, <laughs> and our movie takes us to a different timeline, one where Helene is uh, much happier and uh, Andre is alive,
0: right? And we go. Do you think that the 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 flashback effect? That they use in this movie, the Wayne's World. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was it already just cheesy back then, or do you think that uh, Kurt Newman was just Ahead trailblazing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is how we go to the past. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, so uh, uh, this guy, the the you know, the Jeff Goldblum stand-in, David Hedison. David Hedison. Who did he remind you of?
1: Norman Bates. I Can't think of it. Anthony Perkins.
0: I thought we were on the same page. We started with Norm McDonald. Oh. <laughs> yeah,
1: <I'm> a fly! <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, he is obviously a scientist, and he has a fucking lab in his basement, which is pretty dope. And <laughs> he shows Helene what he's been working on because she always talks about how busy at work he is, and he's been working on the disintegrator integrator, <laughs> disintegrator <laughs> integrator. <laughs> Uh, It's basically a teleportation machine. He's devised this machine in which he can teleport matter with from one side of the room to the other.
0: So if you've seen, like we have, and most people alive right now, listen to this podcast. If you've seen the Jeff Goldblum version of The Fly, one, you're completely underwhelmed by this lab. Mm -hmm. Because this looks just like a a cheap high school production set. Yes. Um, It looks
1: like a play. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, exactly.
0: It's shot like a play too. Because My God. Kurt Newman doesn't believe in close-ups. <laughs> he's saving the close-ups for the end. But also, uh, you understand, right? The concept of what his ma- his machines do—it's it's pretty clear for us because we saw it happen to to uh, Jeff Goldblum, and we know that. Also, we're gonna understand what happens when uh, when it goes bad. Mm-hmm. I was trying to picture what it would be like to be in the late '50s and having to understand the concept of what he's doing. Uh, in detail, because you need to know it in detail. You need to know that he's splitting the atoms and then regrouping them. And yeah. that's why it goes bad when, you know, he gets mixed up with the fly. Uh, and I don't think they do a very good job of explaining. He just no. kind of, you know, rushes through the explanation, which makes sense because the entire time Helene looks like she, she has no idea. She, yeah. She's not grasping. Th- this movie is 100% sure that science is not for women.
1: They should have had Liza Minnelli playing her. <laughs>
0: just like, <laughs> what's this cuckoo thing all about? Uh so, yeah, he could have just been speaking nonsense. Shoot, I've done nothing. What's the first thing he transports? Is, like, a,
1: a bowl or a dish or it's, something? It's a
0: bowl, uh, a wedding present, apparently. Yeah. Uh, which is crazy because, I mean, now that, the, the, let's be frank, there's nothing sexy about this movie, and that's one of the many, many improvements in the, the 80s version because that was all about sex. Oh, yes. <laughs> and not just because of who was in the cast, but just a lot of uh, Jeff Goldblum skin, Gina Davis skin just a lot of sex happening. Oh, yes. Um, this is pretty chaste, and I understand it was the 50s, but uh, even as far as the, the first thing that they use in, in, in the 80s, Jeff Goldblum, the first thing he teleports in front of Gina Davis is uh, her stockings. Mm-hmm. Here, just a bowl. <laughs> yeah. An ugly green bowl.
1: <laughs> and the, the way he knows there's still a glitch in the machine is that, Uh, the Made in Japan label on the back, inverses.
0: Right, which I'm assuming this is not the first time he's run this experiment. So how did he not notice that before with all the other bowls that he's been transporting?
1: Well, I hate to spoil the movie. He's a fairly careless uh, scientist. (laughs) So that's
0: the one thing he has in common with uh, Jeff Goldblum. Yes,
1: very (laughs) reckless. He moves along from dishes to living things as he runs a test with a cat, uh, the cat in the house. And... Uh, loses the cat somewhere in space. <laughs> he goes to teleport it, and it it disappears, but it never reappears. And then you just hear like distant meowing out in the stratosphere.
0: This is never explained, though. It doesn't make sense according to the rules of of the the science that, that he's using, right? Mm-hmm. And and in Goldblum's fly, when he fucks up, he fucks up uh, the baboon, mm-hmm. and what happens is the baboon reappears inside out yeah but inside the 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 pod pod. right here there's no explanation how did he vaporize the the cat to where only its voice remains (laughs) it's just
1: somewhere in another realm it's in another dimension
0: also to be to be fair uh, Jeff Goldblum. Every time he makes, you know, he was loaded in mm-hmm. the first half of that movie. He's always drinking and, and feeling insecure about his relationship with Gina Davis. This guy's happily married. He has a kid. He has no excuse to be this reckless with his science. No. He just he fucks the he fucks up the family cat. It's not even a straight cat. No.
1: And you brought me to an next point. It's completely hindering his relationship with his family. He's got this <laughs> little boy. He's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Get out of here. And he vaporizes the cat and he's got a pretty smoking hot wife patricia owens and he's just completely neglecting to to tap that emotionally or physically
0: it's i guess he's not aware of the fact that his brother has a crush on his wife because maybe that would bring him a little more to the present and And that's my next note in this vincent
1: price is not the star (laughs) Because at this point, I realized the movie is not about Vincent Price.
0: Right. I, I was waiting because the, before we go into the flashback, Vincent Price is not really doing much. He's just kind of acting like he's Ew. lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the The biggest acting he's putting up is not actively not having a French accent. Yeah. And and I was waiting for for the big turn when you know I was like, oh, he's gonna find his God, brother's I, machine, and, and he is going to, in the process, of trying to understand what happened to his brother. He's gonna turn into the fly. Nope.
1: I can't quantify how much I love that in old movies where actors are cast as a certain nationality or uh, placed in a certain culture and they just refuse to adapt to it. Uh, I mean, for Christ's sake, John Wayne played Genghis Khan. I was about to say that. Oh, okay. (laughs) The Conqueror. But this is great, too. Yeah. French-Canadian Vincent Price. Hello. (laughs) Uh... Andre wants to show Helene everything he's been working on. He takes her to the opera, but he, again, his experiments are deterring away from his family time. Because even at the opera, he's still... Or not the opera, excuse me. He takes her to like a ballet, but he's still right. just jotting equations down and notes and whatnot. And he takes her back to the house and wants to show her what he's been working on. Shows her the disintegrator, integrate... I'm not going to be able to... <laughs> <do> it. Disintegrator, <laughs> integrate... You
0: can't even call it the pods, because they're not pods. They're more like...
1: Glass squares. Yeah,
0: like tiny popcorn Somebody machines. Something keep a
1: new iPhone behind, the, the display <laughs> yes. model at Target. Yeah. Um, but he shows her these machines that he's been working on. He transports a bottle of champagne. She's like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. It's working now.
0: It's still cold.
1: Yeah, she and it's perfect. She sees that he's fixed the errors from previously, and then he takes out a literal guinea pig to test it on. She's like, no, you can't. It's so cruel. And then it works and goes fine. And then after that, he tells her, well, I lost the cat. <laughs> To which she didn't even say, like, "Why didn't you just try with this guinea pig first?
0: Uh, it's also kind of weird because before they start playing with the champagne, she's. This is the closest we get to a sex scene in this movie because she's like, "Let's let's do it." She's she's all up on him and. Oh yeah, she's hot and bothered. She wants at it. Right, it, the ballet will have that effect on on. Uh, 80s, not 80s, on ladies of the fifties. Uh
1: as South Park taught us musicals.
0: Yep. Yep. Uh so but he's like, no no, let me let me show you my toys. And then as if that wasn't enough to kill the mood, he goes, also, I killed the cat.
1: <laughs> then I just lost it. <laughs> and he's what does he say? He's like, it would It'd be funny. funny if life wasn't so precious or something like that. <laughs> That's like something Deadpool would say. What the fuck. <laughs> the next day. Days later, again, time is all over the place in this. Philippe, their son, comes in saying, look, I found a fly. It's the coolest fly I've ever found in my life. It's it's got a white head. And Helene is very adamant that, you know, we don't want to harm any animals. Go let that fly loose. I really don't give a shit. Get rid of it. I just don't want it in my house.
0: I would just be like, don't bring a fly into my house. I mean, this kid's pretty smart.
1: He had it in a matchbook, or a matchbox, excuse me.
0: Yeah, but who goes around catching flies? I I actually... Turned to you while we were watching the movie. I was like, "Who catches flies? Is, is that is that a thing from the fifties? Is that a thing from fifties America?"
1: I mean, we didn't have fucking playstations back then, so they had to entertain themselves somehow. I think because this was before the cup and ball came out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that kid. I mean, I guess they're in the suburbs. Who knows how far from the next kid he yeah, lives?
1: Yeah, they don't even have a driveway. It's just a gravel like a. And dirt his cat road. is gone. Yeah. <laughs> no cat to speak of so the white fly is gone almost instantly she goes down to the basement to check on andre in and his lab uh, she knocks there's no answer he slips a note under the door that says i've had an accident you know things are not good for now come in don't look at me just bring me a bowl of milk laced with rum
0: now as she's reading this she's having a conversation with the letter yeah <laughs> she keeps breaking. Acting. she's yeah she stops and she's like what Andre? Oh, no, Andre. Every time I think that he, I thought that she was going to hear the answer from across, from inside. But no, and then the the letter would keep going.
1: Yeah. So she goes and gets this bowl of milk laced with rum, brings it down, and she is then given very specific instructions of what to do. She needs to find this white-headed fly. Don't look at him. Don't tell anybody. Don't come near me. Um, And she goes in to actually drop off the... Uh, milk, and it's the first reveal we get of the human-sized transporter.
0: Yeah, completely. So there's got to be
1: a good amount of time that's elapsed during this flashback sequence.
0: Well, I think that it's also when you're just so careless about the way you conduct science, it's not like he's having this uh, inspected and approved by <laughs> mm-hmm. by the, a major corporation that's funding him. He's just doing it on his own. So he's just he's even worse in this aspect than Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. I think he just made the, the, the transporters bigger out of cardboard and just recycled plastic. And
1: uh, Yeah, it's not like we see him, like, leaving town to go get supplies. <laughs> he just foraged in the area for whatever he could get.
0: This is before the internet. He couldn't just Amazon Prime a bigger transporter or anything. He just he had to do it on his own. And But the movie treats it as if, like, blink and you miss it. Mm-hmm. They draw no I, attention to it. Right. I was waiting for the big reveal. You know, we always uh, shit on
1: movies for holding the audience's hands too much. This one, no. You, <laughs> if you went to get your popcorn during this, you'd be lost.
0: Because, as we, you know, we've seen him transport... I can call you Hurley
1: because you are lost.
0: <laughs> um, we've seen him transport three things so far, right? The bowl, the cat, and the and the champagne. Four. Newspaper. And, the, and the hamster, the hamster and the newspaper. Okay, a whole bunch of things. Yeah. So every time he does it, I'm thinking... Is he going to squeeze himself into that little box? Or are we going to see him? You know, are we going to see the big reveal of, oh.
1: Patricia Owens comes down and he's just nude, (laughs) scrunched into the box.
0: (laughs) Press the button. Uh, But no, it's just kind of in the background. You just see that, oh, the the box is bigger.
1: So, one, he's incredibly talented because I've never seen a human use one hand to operate a typewriter that efficiently. And uh, two, they developed a system of once for yes. Two for no. Right. And that's how he communicates with her. Because she still doesn't really know what's going on. She just knows he has a hood on his head. It's
0: he quickly... it like a jacket. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and I love the idea that he was just going to walk around town like that.
0: <laughs> She's like, you can go to bed. Nobody's going to notice.
1: But she does find out. She doesn't see under the hood quite yet. But she does walk up. And uh, it's revealed a claw on his uh, left hand. Basically, that of a fly. An overgrown claw, which rightfully so, scares the shit out of her. And she now understands how paramount it is to find this white-headed fly. So she immediately goes and begins physically accosting her child to go find that fly again. (laughs) She's, like, not even mad at herself for not paying attention to her child. She's like, damn it, Philippe, go out and find this. So then the movie becomes, like, uh, the scene in the sandlot where they're trying to get the baseball back from the dog. (laughs) They're basically trying to track this fly down, lure it into the house. They put, like, a big pit of sugar out. I have in my notes here, these fuckers painted a fly. Because, like, someone on the set of this movie had to get a fly and hold it and paint it.
0: Are you telling me that's not CGI?
1: Man. Imagine the social justice warriors of today. Because imagine how many flies fucking died. They're flies. You put lead paint on their head, they're going to make it about 30 (laughs) seconds for a shot.
0: Um, But in in the subject of, oh, these are real flies... There is probably the biggest hurdle for me to jump over in, in when it comes to the logic of this story is the fact that they actually believe that they can catch a fly that has been gone for a day at least. I mean, maybe I just misunderstand how flies work at, at, in, on a very basic level, but I kind of feel like a fly doesn't, doesn't call you know, this room its yeah. home. A fly just flies. So if you let a fly... You know, he caught the fly and then he let it go. That fly is, if it's still alive, it's across town. Yeah, That fly is not hanging around to, you know. And I don't think that there's any indication that the fly has, that the fly is smart like a human, right? Because he's still smart. Yeah. So the fly was still an animal or an insect. Uh. So that fly is just on, on pure insect instinct. It's just left. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely, there's no way if you told me, you need to catch the fly, which is really impossible. Yeah. <laughs> it happened once, which is already one time too many, and it, it's gone. And yet, this lady, uh, Helene, just creates a whole thing where, yeah, they put powdered sugar on the counters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. When I was a little kid, we went to Cape Cod. I was probably like 13 or 14. I remember, like, a big, not the tide didn't come in, but it was one of those big wave came in and kind of pulled some of our shit away. And I remember somehow my dad's sunglasses got lost pulled in and then like he went and like tried to find him, (laughs) and like even like 13 or 14 or I was was like what the hell is he doing it's the ocean and like that's like with this here it's a fly and it it they're like the naivety of man or like I I guess uh the small-mindedness of Canadians to think that, well, they're not going to go very far. Canadian
0: flies are so nice. They just kind of stick around. (laughs) They're part of the family. I was thinking maybe the implication is that Helene is so illiterate and ignorant that every time she sees a fly, she thinks it's the same fly. Like, from her childhood on. (laughs)
1: Like Truman Show's type type shit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, she doesn't seem like she has too much world experience. It really seems like uh, she went to school in the town they're in, and then she met Andre.
0: He was the, the and science once teacher. she saw a blimp,
1: <laughs> uh, she goes down, explains Andre to Andre. Excuse me. Look, I didn't find the fly. And well, he, they
0: they almost and, catch it, and then it goes away.
1: Yeah. So they almost catch this some bitch. It gets away. Uh, there's like a crack in the window that it escapes through. Um, so she goes down to try to explain to Andre the haps, and he is. A mess and he's having a hard time typing things up but essentially he gets his message across my brain's starting to go like my cognitive skills are going I'm not able to think straight anymore stay away from me type of thing
0: it's the Canadian version of the insect politics yes. scene uh, pretty harmless free healthcare <laughs> <laughs> that's true because uh Helene tells her hey we should go to the doctor <laughs> <laughs> it's a Canadian doctor he'll be cool with this <laughs>
1: He's seen worse. Yeah, you can tell his brain's starting to go because she just says, just go back through it again and it'll be fine. The disintegrator integrator.
0: He doesn't even the take his clothes off. Disintegrator integrator.
1: Yeah. He, yeah, he like could have mended to his jacket he was wearing. <laughs> anyway, he goes through and nothing happens. But she thinks it does. Right. She's like, you're fine. And she runs up and we get, this is where we get the big reveal. Uh, the one
0: close up in the movie.
1: Yes. And they got the most of it, because it went... So she takes off the hood, and she sees the big fly head. It's actually fucking awesome. And then it cuts to his POV, which, of course, he's a fly, so it's just like a cylindrical, uh, multiple... I don't even know how many eyes flies have.
0: I don't know, but this is the first time that I've seen it depicted, and it was just confusing. How do you move when you... (laughs) It's like watching something in like 80 screens. Yeah. How do you even get around?
1: It's like wearing a VR headset, <laughs> uh, but it's projected 16 different it's, times. It
0: cracked. So it's just the image is <laughs> multiplied. Uh, yeah. I mean, if that's how flies see the world, it's even less likely that they would hang around. They're just flying directionless.
1: Their hand eye coordination is, yeah, not very good. But he sees how terrified she is. And this, understandably so, causes him into a meltdown and he starts fighting with himself. Basically, you know, one hand's trying to do... It's like a Jim Carrey routine.
0: I At first I thought Liar Liar, and then I realized that this is a poorly realized version of uh, Ash fighting his own hand in uh, Evil Dead 2.
1: Liar Liar is what I was going, but that's... Yeah, that's a better one. Uh, Well, because
0: Liar Liar is funny. (laughs) This was not funny. (laughs) And it it was just cheesy, which is different.
1: But he goes insane. And she faints and... While he's still fighting with himself to not attack her. He goes for a-, a kiss. Yeah, he's able to put her down on the bed. He tries to plant one on her. But then he just realizes, like, he's done. It's too far gone. So he just immediately starts destroying all of his equipment, takes an axe to both the teleporters. Um, he's basically going to make sure no one can ever make this mistake again.
0: Oh, see, In I thought... In the
1: process, completely screwing his wife from all legal perspectives. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I honestly, I thought that he was destroying the machines, that the fly brain was causing him to destroy the machines so that he could never put himself back together.
1: I think this was the last, he knew he was going, so, like like, on his chalkboard, how he erased everything, and then he burned all the documents and stuff, so... I think he was just making it so no human could ever make this mistake again.
0: I, th- I think it's amazing that we're actually having a discussion about what might have been the intent. It's, I, I think that's already giving it more thought than uh, anybody involved in the movie did. It's just like, And then he grabs an axe and destroys the set. All right, let's go.
1: Where is my money? <laughs> oh, man. That's a shame. I'm so congested. I usually have a good Vincent Price. That was just garbage. I got it. I got it. Uh, okay, thank you. So, equipment's been destroyed, um, Helene wakes back up, at this point, Andre, <laughs> he sends his final transmission, <laughs> he writes on his chalkboard, too late now, uh, or no use, no no help, don't come near me.
0: He says, help me, but don't come near me, and then he yes. says, kill me.
1: Yes. And then, of course, love you.
0: Love you. And then the music swells, and you get the the second close-up of the movie, is <laughs> uh, Helene. Yeah.
1: And then, so like he, there's a door that we didn't know about in his basement. I guess he lives with a fucking fox catcher because then he just <laughs> takes off through like this underground tunnel and then we end up at like a, a warehouse somewhere.
0: Yeah. That's, it's a never. La
1: the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> We're in a meat packing facility.
0: It's never explained really what the connection is with, is that part of his uh, science experiments? Part of his compound, you know, he has the lab, but then he also has this thing where he, uh, a big machine that flattens stuff for him whenever.
1: Yeah, it's like a compactor. I I, I don't know how he has the key to it. Just <laughs> and that's like the last conscious thing he does with his brain is he sets it up to flatten him and then just like points at the red button frantically and tells her what to do.
0: And uh, uh, Patricia Owens, Celine, like she follows his instructions, but it's like she doesn't realize. What that's meant to do until the very last moment when she sees the thing is coming down and it's about to crush his head. And then she goes, Oh my God, no. And then she runs to try to save him.
1: And she says right before, You're terminated, motherfucker. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think it's her last moment of remorse, but she goes, She specifically does the number one thing he told her not to do. He gets nearer and he grabs her and almost crushes her, but she fights her way out. <laughs> And then it's so morbid, she like crushes his head, and then she lifts it up, and then she goes over and puts his arm back in, and then goes back and crushes his arm. The opening visual of that was kind of shocking for a 1958 movie. I was right. kind of surprised at the amount it of blood. was
0: It was not in line with what... We were still reeling from the fact that Vincent Price was not top billing. And then... And then he,
1: there's like this crushed body. Yeah, and... Uh, apparently there was no remnant of the fly head or claw. It was just completely smashed because the only way they could identify him, Vincent Price is like, yes, he's got a long scar on his leg, and they roll up his pant leg. Like, yep, that's it. <laughs> Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. We're back to the present, and they're just kind of staring at her like, <laughs> uh-huh. And the police officer or whoever, again, the man in charge of this case goes to leave, and Basically says where we're going to take her. She's mad.
0: He's pretty underwhelmed, though. Like, I, I mean, it's in tone with his performance through the entire movie. But he's just kind of walking down the stairs and talking to Winston Price and goes, you believe her? But the way he's behaving, I kind of get the feeling that it doesn't matter to him whether the story's true or not. Either way, he doesn't give a shit. <laughs>
1: he just wants to go home. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's ready to close the case.
1: He said, and Vincent Price says, well, maybe it is the truth. And he goes, the officer's like, it is the truth to her. It was like the uh Gary Oldman and uh Joseph Gordon Levitt. They should know. They do know it was the Batman.
0: Uh, and then But he, he says,
1: like, how can I make this right? And he's like, Show me the fly.
0: It's the it's the second uh, titular line in the movie. The first one is earlier. When uh, before we go into flashback, and he's talking to the Inspector, Vincent Price is talking to the Inspector, and the Inspector goes, "Oh yeah, did he? Did he ever? Did your brother ever experiment on animals?" And he goes, "My brother, he wouldn't even hurt a fly." <laughs>
1: so he says, "Yeah," he kind of jestingly says, "If you want to exonerate her, you got to show me this white-headed fly." So then Vincent Price goes and sits down on a bench in the the garden, just looking out on the dirt road in front of him, and then you just hear a faint, help me. Because they make sure to establish a shot of like a spider's web right next to him. Yeah,
0: it. it's really, because first he walks past a couple of trash cans that are overflowing oh, trash. I'm sorry, this
1: isn't the same day. This is the next day. This is like the next morning when he's.
0: Is it? No, I thought it was the same day. Because oh. because when the inspector leaves, he opens the door and I was shocked that it was daylight. Okay. I kinda felt like they'd spend the entire day reminiscing. But no, it's still daylight. And then Vincent Price walks out. There's the trash cans with a lot of flies. So I thought I honestly thought he was gonna start looking into the trash. Yeah, and he was gonna be <laughs> he was gonna find the white-headed fly in there. Uh, but no, and then he goes and like Forrest Gump, he just kinda sits there on the bench and he's just <laughs> chilling. And <coughs> the camera goes from him, like, pants to the side, and you see the spider web, and obviously a fly there. Mm-hmm. And then goes back to him, and you hear the help me. And he, what is he doing with his hand? Did you notice he's just sitting there, and he's just kind of, like, stretching his arm? <laughs> it's, just... it's been a long day, man. <laughs> he's trying to find his pocket watch. <laughs> he was pacino next uh, day. <laughs> In righteous kill, he's just you know, this is all before like he they hadn't called action. he's oh, just yeah. like warming up. Oh yeah, like, at, the, at the
1: diner. Uh But this is why I thought it was the next day because if it was the same day, it was an incredibly quick turnaround because then the <laughs> the guys from the loony bin come with the meat wagon and they they're there to take Helene into you know get her some help.
0: But that's. That really is how it felt to me, because...
1: No, it's the next day, because Helene is, is, wakes up. Do they have a scene? Remember, or... she like wakes up, and she's like, I slept so well. That's true. Yeah.
0: So we just kind of, the movie, stopped. they just jumped over a whole day, and we didn't really see... They had ben Price
1: Z- back for four hours. They needed to get this all done.
0: <laughs> they had to cut out the scene where where uh, Francois goes back home, and he spends the entire night up, just kind of like trying to figure out what happened.
1: <laughs> Painting flies white. <laughs> So they come to take Helene away. She has no idea what's going on. She thought she was all good because, again, Francois lied about having the white fly, the white-headed fly. And obviously, at this point, they make her out to be the bad guy, but he's the asshole. (laughs) He just, like, let her set herself up for the death sentence. So he goes to leave because Philippe's about to come in. He doesn't want his nephew to see his mom reduced to this. And he's like, let's go to the movies. And he's walking. He's like, what have you been up to today? (laughs) Well, I saw the white-headed fly. Oh, that's great. (laughs) You what? (laughs) It's like, where is it? He says it's in a web in the garden. He doesn't even go to check first. Yes, he just takes this little kid's word for it. And then he goes and gets the uh, police chief.
0: Well, also, you know, spider web. That that's that means that that fly doesn't have much time. I would have gone and gotten the fly and then brought the fly to the inspector instead of running to get the inspector. Exactly.
1: So he runs and gets the inspector. He takes him down, and sure enough, they see it there. It is in the web, it is tightly woven, and uh, obviously it's impending doom is closing in as the spider's inching towards it. And then it's uh, Andre, just, but, God, he looks terrifying. No teeth or anything, pale as a ghost.
0: So do you think that the the way that this transformation went was that that fly obviously always had Andre's head?
1: He had an arm, too.
0: And the arm. Yeah. uh, But its brain originally was a fly brain and then slowly became Andres' brain. Oh, man. I don't know. So he was kind of flying like a fly and then at some point he gained human consciousness and he's like, fuck, I'm in a web. (laughs) He started calling for help because otherwise it would have, I would imagine, it would have have tried to make contact uh, before that.
1: Yeah, if it had the human brain before, it wouldn't have run away from them when they were trying. Right,
0: he would have talked to his son. (laughs) (laughs) Hello.
1: Uh, Yeah, the inspector sees the spider starts to eat it and then he just smashes both the spider and the fly with a stone
0: he destroys the evidence oh like yeah. a pro
1: and vincent price is immediately like murderer <laughs> He's like you're as guilty of murder as she was and he explains we can't tell them what we saw they'll think we're both mad and then so they essentially just devise together how he killed himself and they make up that it was a suicide
0: yeah and then uh Vincent Price goes, but what about the evidence and what about the remaining evidence? And the inspector just, you know, throws everything in the trash. like, what evidence?
1: Yeah, pretty much. And then we just fade to Vincent Price and Patricia Owens living happily ever after. It's it's
0: an actual happy ending. It's, I mean, to be fair, even when she was pretending to be mad or when she was just playing it straight, she was not as chill as Vincent Price regarding the death of her of her husband, but she was not that sad. It, no. it, you know, it's and again, once you factor I mean, in uh, the Canadian what we saw, location. It, it
1: appeared to be a dead marriage. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. She she kept trying to be intimate and he kept blowing her off for science. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> but <laughs> they, they have a happy ending. They they're really
1: And Philippe's like, Mom told me my dad died.
0: <laughs> but why?
1: And Vincent Price said it's true. He said he was in the search for truth. The kid's like, that's what killed him?
0: <laughs> it's such a mixed message. Because on one end, it's saying, uh, you know, science killed him. Therefore, stay away from science. But then he makes it sound cool. He was an explorer. He, was, he went where he almost met God. He got really close for like a moment. So science is bad. But if you're reckless, it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> so every possible bad lesson, and the kid picks it up. He's like, I want to be just like my dad.
1: Now let's go to the zoo. <laughs> And then, as we've talked about here on old movies, it's over. Get the fuck out of the theater. <laughs> like, the movie ends, and I think it says, colored by Deluxe. Roll the, the cue goes up, the film.
0: That might be the only other thing it has in common with the the 80s fly. Because remember, the 80s fly, Gina Davis pulls the trigger, cut to black, we're done. Well, even
1: then, there's, like, full credits. This is just, <laughs> like, where... get out. <laughs> <laughs> we got to clean this. We got six more showings <laughs> today. Yeah. So, yeah, a relative happy ending. Uh, not for, uh, for Andre. Yeah.
0: I think the only person that that seems to react like a human being uh, I, by the end of the movie is the inspector. He really seems like his world was turned upside down yes. by seeing that. Everybody else... Uh, <laughs> They're playing it a bit too cool. Yeah, and they bounce back pretty quickly. <laughs> That, I can kind of get the feeling that the inspector is still having nightmares about this.
1: He's going to be in therapy for a while. Right. And
0: Vincent, Price, Vincent Price is just happy that he gets to bone his sister-in-law now.
1: We didn't see with the inspector the shot of him taking his badge off and throwing it in the river. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he goes He goes to, to his house, just sitting there, pulls his revolver out, <laughs> looks at it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Uh, the shot of Albert Brooks in Drive after he kills <laughs> Brian Cranston just sitting there with his weapon and a bottle or a glass of water. But that was the fly
0: that was that was the fly, and it was
1: the visuals are nowhere near as stomach churning as that of its eighty six brethren.
0: Well, they have just the two big reveals, right? the The, the, the special effects budget goes to just two shots because the rest of the time, Andre has a jacket over his head. Yeah. So, special effects go to the big reveal of the big fly head, Mm -hmm. which just looks like it's uh, styrofoam, just on top of a dude's head. Like, when you go to uh, Disney World, it's like a Mickey head, but it's a fly head. And and then the reveal of the fly, the fly with the human head, which I know we have to give it credit because it's the 50s, but come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) Help me... (laughs) Everything about that scene just plays the wrong way, because they have the the spider is clearly not moving. it's not a real spider. It's just like like a spider plastic toy, but they mm-hmm. get it really close to the camera, and there's somebody off camera just shaking it mm-hmm. um it's It's so bad that you're relieved when the inspector just smashes the whole thing down with a with a big rock.
1: It puts all of us out of our misery. yes
0: in the end, it was beauty who killed the beast.
1: <laughs> well done. <laughs> No better segue. <laughs>
0: all right, let's let's go to real talk. Let's do. Please, please, all right. Show me where. Here, Francois. Wait in the house. It's a good boy for you. recording real talk for The Fly, OG.
1: All right. The Fly. I
0: don't know what Hans is talking
1: about, man. <laughs> we'll get to that here in a moment, though. Uh, released on July 16th, 1958. Like I said, just reeked of one of those drive-in movie theater monster movies. Fucking love the aesthetic. Uh, directed by Kurt Newman, who was known for that genre of film. Screenplay by James Clavel. Clavel. And, of course, based on the short story that we confused with Walter Mitty that was featured prominently, 1957 issue of Playboy, budget was somewhere below $500,000, box office return was somewhere around $3 million. spawned a sequel, remake, which had a sequel, and probably within the next three years, another remake. I was about to say,
0: we're due, and it would be a shame if they didn't catch Jeff Goldblum as a scientist again.
1: No, he would have to play the Vincent Price role, where he's there for the first 20 minutes and last 20 minutes.
0: Or the John Getz role, where he's just the creepy, abusive boyfriend.
1: (laughs) Yeah. A fine monster movie. A fine
0: picture. Yeah. fifties picture.
1: I guess, being that's 95%, were you able to find any negative reviews on it? Uh,
0: I found one Rotten Tomato Meter quote, and then I went to... uh, Letterboxd for a couple of uh, just regular people quotes. So as far as the official critic, Matt Bailey from Not Coming to a Theater Near You says, The Fly has, over the years, acquired a reputation as some sort of a classic. How this has been achieved, I'm afraid I'm at a loss to explain. All right. Uh, and now we got a letterbox. Louis Charles gave The Fly two and a half stars out of five. And he says, this kid isn't dressed to catch flies. He lives in the 1950s and his clothes are clearly more expensive than mine. Why does she let him go catch flies dressed like that? He's for sure going to ruin this clothes.
1: All right. Valid. (laughs) All
0: right, Louis. We get the point. And then Cameron uh, gave it one and a half out of five stars. And he says, this review should really be for my iPhone and the wonderful distractions it provided while I sat through this.
1: I found this incredibly easy to sit through. It's very... Sit-through has a negative connotation. I thought this was a very easy watch.
0: Right. It's, I mean, number one, the maddest rule. 90 minutes. It just, you know, it's... If this had gone on for two hours, they really would have had to kick it up a notch as far as the plot goes, because it's so simple. Yes. (laughs) And I really wonder how much of the, the enjoyment you get is from knowing what the reveal is, right? Because even if you were somebody living in the 50s. You, I would imagine the trailer... I mean, the movie is called The Fly. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of know the way that the story is structured. There's really not much leeway for which way it would have gone, right? You know that he's transporting stuff. Yeah. And then suddenly he's covering his face. Yeah. And he's asking for a fly. So I I imagine even if you hadn't read the the Playboy story, you kind of had an idea of what was going on. And there's not much more complexity to that. I mean...
1: The poster for it is like her reaction to seeing him. So I'm curious. I mean, there was no such thing or not. There wasn't a big thing like trailers and TV spots. So I wonder how big the reveal was of the fly head. I bet that would have been pretty fucking cool to see, like not knowing. Right. Because they build it up really well. You see the claw. And there really is that what the hell is under there type thing. Right. You just
0: want to know what he looks like.
1: It's just so formulaic, but not in a bad way. It's just it hits every beat that it's going for
0: and you know like the next the the weekend after it opened the day after it opened like everybody's twitter profiles were like the the flyhead just ruin it for everyone <coughs>
1: yeah i mean vincent price uh, patricia owens and i forget um andre david whatever his name was um hedison yes there's such a place to still have things like this that we can go back and watch or <laughs> just acting like
0: i i don't know man i felt like vincent price was kind of phoning it in and it's not like he gets to do much, but uh he's just I, I did mean the what I said in Contrast Corner, that everybody seems to take this very it's such a laid back reaction to some pretty <laughs> crazy some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean Vincent Pride, that's his brother. And so even if it was, if there was none of the fly elements, even if, even if all would, that happened at the beginning of the movie was that his brother was found like crushed by this press, that would be enough to fuck him up for the rest of the movie. But he's just kind of like, eh, yeah. that's weird.
1: Yeah. I think that was, we have to, we're actors. We can't break. Not even <laughs> if the script makes no sense. Uh, yeah. I, I, Patricia Owens in particular, I thought was really fun to watch in this. But yeah, it definitely looked like Vincent Price was in his later years and just kind of, well, let's see what we do here. Is the
0: Did the check clear? All right. <laughs> Action.
1: I mean, we're still a ways out. He wasn't in his later years. Later years was him doing the laugh in uh, Thriller.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that has more gusto than anything he does in this movie. Here, though, yeah. I mean, I
1: can't even... Because movies I, like this were just being churned out repeatedly at this point right. in time. monster movie type thing. So it's... Who's to say that they knew this one was going to have any sort of oomph or reputation at it's all? It's
0: the the original Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. thing where maybe they would have recast <laughs> everyone, everyone except, except Johnny for Johnny Depp, Depp and
1: Robert Englund.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I think if if nothing, it's not really his fault. It's why would you cast Vincent Price in in a kind of a supporting role? Yeah, a nothing no. role, really, because it could be a cool supporting role. But I imagine he was
1: it, it was to have the name on it.
0: Right. I mean, I understand Again, from a financial a, point yeah. of
1: view why you would cast Forgot him. to preface this. Uh, in addition to bitching about being sick, this is a bonus episode, and traditionally we don't do as much deep diving and research for these as we do with others. So it does lead to a lot of just speculation like this that I'm sure we could just find <laughs> easily online. But
0: the Wikipedia entry, like at this time, Vincent Price was uh, addicted to cocaine.
1: <laughs> Vincent Price was dealing with the actual murder of his brother. <laughs> His movies took a slight backseat.
0: In between takes, he would just break down and cry for hours on end.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I imagine he was the get for it, but because uh, I, I I honestly don't know Patricia Owens or David. What was his name? Hedison. Hedison. Yeah. Hedison.
0: I bet you if we were doing this episode with uh, Ryan and Bartek, Ryan would be like, oh, well, Patricia Owens from this title and this title and this title and this title, and this title where she played a fly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> God bless. But yeah, I mean, everyone is polished. Some of the shots are really cool. The sequence of them chasing the fly through the house, I thought was. it, It goes on just the right length. Had it gone any longer, it would have become like a Three Stooges skit.
0: Right. But it's at the same time, it's so old fashioned that I had to actively remind myself to cut the movie some slack. Uh, that's always important yeah because it's just you know mostly wide shots and and the lighting is pretty flat and you know it's just especially after watching if you if you're familiar with the the 80s fly which is fucking cronenberg pulls a a giant larva from gina davis <laughs> in that movie so yeah. it's visually obviously it has the upper hand uh, I mean, it has the upper hand on every aspect too, but but especially visually to me, it just felt like, oh, this bland until you remember, well, it's the fifties. And every time that I reminded myself that this was late fifties and I did that thing where I would try to put myself in the mindset of somebody who's watching this with none of the context that we have for the fly mm-hmm. as we watch in, in, as we watch in the year 2019, then that's pretty cool. Again, yeah, that reveal of the face, the 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 big head, and that ending has to just throw people for a loop.
1: No, oh, dude, absolutely. I thought I had seen this. Like, I I knew about the face, the fly reveal, but I had thought I had seen like all the shots from this. Or, like, uh, I had never seen that him as a uh, Hedison as the like trap fly <laughs> at the end. I'm like, oh, this is fucking terrifying. <laughs> uh, yeah, watching that that context. Yeah, there was things that kept taking me out of it. I'm like, this is clearly just, like, sound stages. And I'm like, that's how movies were. Like, it, you know, there was parts of it that were very sitcommy the way that it was shot and everything. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you said, just kept having to remind myself. Uh, and when you do that, it can often, like you just mentioned, think about Jesus. Imagine <laughs> not knowing what you're going to see, and then you see this. And you, you know, there were probably people that watched us and didn't sleep for weeks afterwards. <laughs>
0: They went in to watch just a good sci-fi romp and then walked away silent. (laughs) Yeah, the
1: drive home was very quiet.
0: (laughs) Flinched every time a fly, just buzzed by.
1: Um, As far as movies like this go, uh, you know, some people the golden age of horror. I think a lot of people, the universal monsters and things like that. And then in between that, and I guess the new age of horror, which was when more of the violent stuff was introduced, there was this big period in the mid forties to, you know, early seventies of heavy reliance on like monsters and sci-fi influences and things like that. Um, I know it's not necessarily your area of expertise, but when you dip your toe into this pool, what do you find yourself coming away with?
0: Talk about the genre,
1: yeah, just like movies like this from the, that time period and of this ilk.
0: Um, I mean, I definitely here I go again. I enjoyed it more than Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> I know that's a completely different, you know, sub genre of horror, but yeah, uh, you know, in the sense of not just like originals versus remakes and all that stuff, but also as in, like, what do I take?
1: Uh, yeah, it's still relevant because we're still talking about remakes, right. After this one, you you can't just I can't. take no, a dig. This, at this is my on last Street. one. Yeah.
0: Uh, no, uh, uh, well, because I guess regardless of how it's intended, now when you watch it, right, you mm-hmm. watch it sort of like a sci-fi horror movie. It's like it's, it's a creature movie, yeah. except that the creature doesn't play like a big part, say for like the big moments. Uh, I think the length, the runtime, has a lot to do with it. Uh, then again, Nightmare on Elm Street was also pretty short. Could have fooled me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, I don't know it's it feels dated but it's still entertaining mm-hmm. you know and that's that's the thing with many of these movies I have a hard time taking them seriously this one just manages to walk the line uh because dude here's the thing and and the reason the main reason why I walk away with it as a positive experience uh, in addition to the cool big reveals of the monster when he is doing his final message on the blackboard I oh, was awesome. I was all in, yeah, which surprised me because most of the time, partly I'm writing sarcastic notes in my notebook, so I'm mm-hmm. kind of this distance from the entire relationship and the, the emotional core of the movie, and partly because, like I said, it's it's still kind of a cheesy setup and everything, and there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense, but I completely bought. I, I was surprised by how much I bought the relationship that when he writes that last "love you," yeah. I was like, oh, my God, that hurts.
1: <laughs> Dude, yeah, his acting in that is great, too.
0: And he's, you know, a fly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, like, talk about great acting. You can't even see his fucking head. It's just <laughs> his body. Yeah, it's it's so good.
0: I think it's the way, not to take anything for, from uh, Patricia Owens, because she's great, obviously. It, you're cutting back and forth between her sort of horrified but also heartbroken reaction and then his body language and down to the way that he's writing that because his mm-hmm. handwriting is just so shaky and you can buy that he's having trouble, he's losing it. Yeah. So it was yeah, that was heartbreaking. And so to me, that is the big uh the big moment that redeems the movie even more than the the awesome reveals of the fly head and the and the fly with the human head. Yeah. Uh it's just that Through it all, I actually connected to it emotionally and I felt really bad, which is also why I think the the Jeff Goldblum fly is awesome because I also, it's cool for many reasons, but at the end, what do you walk away with? Oh, the fact that, God, it's so horrible, you know, insect politics, that reaction, the the relationship, and then she has to kill him. Yeah. Uh, Which also, by the time that we get to the point where she has to push the button and the press, in the rational part of me, knows that it's really, really stupid that she has that last moment of oh my god what's happening and then she goes to try to save him that's dumb yeah. but i was i was so into the relationship that i really felt bad just that she had to do that uh, yeah um uh, it's pretty horrifying he's just he can't talk so he's just pointing at the button and yeah it's, like,
1: it's fucking heavy and uh, like i said the opening shot too when they find him I, that kind of took me by surprise i'm like oh that's really bloody <laughs> that's pretty intense for
0: yeah so see i don't know i haven't watched enough movies of this Era to really tell you that maybe I have just some uh, preconceptions that uh, thinking that they're all like that all the most movies uh, of this era are like the cheesiest parts of this movie Mm -hmm. where maybe there's more variety than I know than I than I assume and maybe there's a lot more uh, flies out there,
1: (laughs) so to speak. Rob Zombie was on Joe Rogan's podcast recently. And I know no, that's like the whitest thing you've ever heard. <laughs> um, he talked about, and, you know, I have a, a love-hate relationship with Rob Zombie as a filmmaker. I usually love to hate what he makes, but um, I like Devil's Rejects. We've been over this. Anyway, he clearly has an eye and a passion for what he does and an idea of what he wants to make. And he talked about in that that he uh, still finds movies from this era to be more scary than what we see today and the part of that is because and he he, i agree with him on this it's way more intense and freaky to see something real even if it's built and looks silly than just something cg because your brain can always your brain's always going to know that's just cg the uncanny valley or whatever it's called Whereas like uh, the original Godzilla is the one he uses as an example. He's like, that's way more scary than like a CG Godzilla. And I can agree with that because even at the end of the day, even you if you love that movie, if you take it out of the context of the movie and you just see like a dude walking at you wearing that Godzilla suit, you're going to be like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Whereas it's just like a computer animated image. It's like, Oh, that's all right. But he also talked about, and this is absolutely 100% true. And then it applies to this. And other movies, not just in the horror genre, that it's stilting uh, or uh, stunting actors' growth now because they're not responding to real things. There's just like, okay, look at that tennis ball and act like it just killed your mom, as opposed to just like, you know, actually seeing something. Or in this case, when they remake The Fly, it's going to be a CG fly. So someone's just going to have to pretend like they're scared. There's not actually going to be something in front of them.
0: Yeah, but I think that that's just basically a new, newer aspect of acting that actors need to just, I mean, in, in but that's not today's... A, I'm
1: not arguing with you. I'm a, I, you're <laughs> saying is right, but it shouldn't be because like that, you're not actually reacting to anything.
0: Yeah, but you aren't really reacting to a, a, a human fly you know you're still you know if it takes you out of the scene just if you're like you out, at- you're
1: not going to show him that until the actual shot is ready for it and like uh Right, but you like could, when they did Jason grabbing Corey Feldman in Part Four, they didn't tell him he was going to jump out and grab him to get a real reaction from him.
0: Yeah, but you're talking about you know very specific instances. There are there's plenty of oh, I can uh, keep going. <laughs> there's plenty of actors that I think do just really well with CGI, and there's some that don't. I mean, I, I think that. Are you telling if, me
1: if I, the scene in Alien where uh, Ripley and the alien are face to face would be as impactful if it was a CG alien?
0: no but i can tell you that the the scene in alien when the alien bursts out i and i know they're going to hate me for this but i find that kind of silly now because it looks pretty bad and that's that's practical that's practical it looks great for the time if i put myself in that mindset I'm, but it doesn't look as good as other stuff in that movie and this is this goes back to you know i guess my real thing is i understand that you know good practical effects look great but just like good CGI looks good, you know, I, I think that the the, comp- the the unfair comparison is when people go, "Well, this is really great practical," and they compare it with shitty CGI. There's a lot of shitty, sh- shitty CGI, and there's definitely overused. Yeah, most of it. Right, but but that's the thing. There's also a lot of shitty uh, practical effects that don't get called out because you know, Doesn't right fit now, the narrative. Uh, exactly. Yeah, you know. So to me, special effects are special effects. If they're good, then you love them. If they're not good then they take you out of the movie and that goes for practical as well as, as uh, uh, CGI. That said, as you were talking, I'm thinking horror-wise because of what you said that just like the Uncanny Valley thing, I think that it's a lot easier to get sort of a uh, a gut reaction to something that looks, you know, th- when well, you don't have the Uncanny Valley effect. Mm-hmm. Like you just said, if a dude dressed as Godzilla comes up to me, you know, I'm not rationalizing why I'm scared <laughs> or why I'm like disturbed. I'm just disturbed. Yeah. So, Maybe horror is a very specific genre where it is to your advantage to go practical most of the time you know unless yeah. unless you're really good at you have some really good CGI there being going practical actually helps you and wouldn't surprise me if that's the case because most of the people that I hear arguing against CGI like most of my friends are people that are huge horror fans and usually are listing horror examples you know whereas to me if you're We're complaining a strange bunch. But if you're complaining about the CGI in a sci-fi movie, you know, complaining about CGI in Star Wars or in fantasy, to me, I think that's kind of, I'm just like, it looks cool, man. It doesn't take me out of the movie as long as you have actors that can interact. And I understand that it it can be a huge hassle if you're an an actor or a director that's used to doing things practically and then you find yourself having to do uh, CGI and you can't quite do the transition, you know? It's like... Silent to talkies, not everybody made it, you know. And
1: it's a big, it's like a big part of my thing with Marvel movies. Not to sound like Coppola or <laughs> Scorsese, but like I specifically remember in one of the Avengers movies, they're in a big ship that blends into the sky, and like one of the engines goes out or some shit. So like Captain America and Iron Man have to go fix it. I I specifically remember watching it in the theater and just looking at it, and being like, "There is nothing real on this screen right now."
0: Right, but it, that is, I I think that there is, and that's, it, well, that's you, not you, a knock one way. Or no, the other. no, 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 but I'm just saying
1: like it took me out of it.
0: Right, but why does it take you out of it? And in your case, it could be specifically that you are your sensibilities already because you're a horror fan. You know, they're they're ready against CGI, so you already have like that that trigger. Like, you know, I have my I do
1: love Star Wars though, so it's like. Yeah, but isn't it crazy to watch like the originals and be like how
0: <laughs> how <laughs> how did they do this? Uh well the the argument that I would usually make would be if the story has you if the characters have you then you get past the little hurdles of oh, yeah. uh, of you know you don't even bother you get past you, the
1: you- hurdle of how did Batman have the time to Put a flaming bat logo on the the bridge and got
0: right. Up. You well, you don't you never slow down to think, wow, none of this is real. This is all green screen because you're just caught up on everything else. I am me being the huge Marvel fan I am, I can tell you the only one time has that happened, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which I did include in the list of Marvel movies you have to watch because it's I don't think it's that great. Okay. Uh but that's one of the things where it gets to the third act, and I was so disconnected from the movie that I was just I had that moment, I was like, man, this is just like a CGI orgasm, <laughs> you know? But there are people who love that movie and that never crosses their mind. They're just like, man, but the themes and the sacrifices, I was like, I was not there. I just, I already like disconnected.
1: Uh, yeah, and I mean, there's things that immediately kill my point. I mean, T2 is one of my favorite movies ever and that, that movie's like heavy CGI. Yeah,
0: but it's so well used that...
1: And even <laughs> when it gets to the point that there's a practice, like the they made Arnold up and all that shit yeah, like, with it, his head blown off.
0: There is... Uh, in the end, you know, it's all about suspension of disbelief and just how much the movie has you. Because even when you're watching practical effects, well, you know that's not a real flyhead. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't distract you from the fact that that's, that's fake. You know that yeah. he really has an arm that's not, you know... He, a claw. Yeah. yeah. So... uh there's there has to be something hooking you into the story and but I really I never thought about the fact that there's like a tactile thing that really works better for horror than does you know because usually I just roll my eyes whenever somebody criticizes CGI. You
1: just hit the mute button on Twitter and you're like, alright, I'm moving on from this conversation. I start
0: to reply and no, then like fuck it, I only have 140 <laughs> characters. It's not worth it.
1: All right, got sidetracked there. So bringing it back around, closing out the autumn of remakes, and obviously we got to compare this to the remake that we covered several episodes ago from 1986, the David Cronenberg, uh, Gina Davis, Jeff Goldblum. I think they are both clearly products of their time, and they both excel in those areas. Uh, Obviously, if I I could only watch one again, it would definitely be the Cronenberg one, because I think we've discussed... Not just in that episode, but uh, the Embrys. The Embryes, yeah. The acting and it's fantastic.
0: It definitely has higher highs, if nothing else. As much as I love the blackboard scene, as yeah. much as I was disturbed by the the when she kills him and everything, it still doesn't match.
1: There's a far more emotional downs, like a spiral with uh, the deterioration of Goldblum's character.
0: Yeah, and the story is more complex. It's it's an unfair fight because you, can you imagine if uh, if the Goldblum movie had come out in 58, <laughs> assuming that somehow it got past the censors and they allowed them to show that in... Just like rioting
1: in the streets.
0: How <laughs> um, so many walkouts you know, during the, the crazy sex scene or when he breaks the guy's arm.
1: So give or take, those were about 30 years apart, similar to uh the Texas Chainsaw Massacre original and remake we did. Right. The reason I bring that up is like, I say they're both products of their time, with the in respect to the fly. But I think Cronenberg adapted and put his own spin on it. Whereas, kind of like we talked about with the chainsaws, it was just still kind of like, well, we're just gonna make the same movie but with a new sheen on it. They did add some things like the family and whatnot, but but it, really, it's funny. It because seemed like the the fly, the remake of the fly, was an honest attempt at re envisioning a movie.
0: Yeah. Even though I think that they say the same thing in the end, it's just, you got to be careful. <laughs> don't fly too close to the sun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't try to play God. I mean, those those themes are there. It's just that Cronenberg the, the does more with them. Yeah. It definitely feels, wow. I don't know if that's fair to Marcus Nespel. I, mean, I was going to say, Cronenberg's Fly feels like a Cronenberg movie. And would you say that the Texas Chainsaw remake feels like a Nespel movie? Or is it just like a music video? Well, or is it just like a Nispel covering uh Toby <laughs> Hooper?
1: That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, it feels like a cover song. Right. You know, that you put your own spin on it. Like um there's plenty of cover songs that are awesome and play pay tribute to the original and with that being its own kind of thing. And I think that's kind of it as opposed to just completely re- reimagining something. What am I trying to say here? Uh so Nispel's Chainsaw Massacre would be real big fish's cover of Take On Me by Aha, Uh whereas Cronenberg's Fly is Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt. (laughs) One is fun and kind of poppy in its own way, and the other one's like, oh, shit. You took something that was really good and made it even better.
0: Right. You added more depth.
1: Yeah, more depth and depth to it. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we're going to need to get Hans on the line. I don't have the bat phone with me right now, but I need to figure out what his beef is with this. Cause I, this was perfectly fine for me. I'd give this a B plus.
0: I, yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna. I really want to know. And hopefully, I mean, I'll, I'll contact him directly, but Hans, if you're listening to this, just send us another voicemail or, or if you just want to send us an email, I, I just, what's going Are you a Vincent price fan? That was just bummed that he doesn't really get to do much. Uh, are you, because I know, and I, I, I mentioned this to Alex right after we were watching the movie because the first thing he said to me when the movie was over was like, "Why doesn't Hans like this?" <laughs> and and I I kind of explained that uh, Hans has actually asked petitioned for us to do classic horror movies like have an arc and I've been, I have the list of movies that he requested which go you know th- they go with our rotten fresh rotten fresh he, he had the whole thing uh planned out and it was just a matter of, of finding where to uh put them and just on the road to the episode 100 i just couldn't make mm-hmm. it fit but definitely after 100 we can we can do it And th- but that's the thing i mean he is he seems familiar with the genre so it's not that he's just not into it because it's a movie from 1958 it's he, th- there's something th- he's, has got, he's be- got some beef maybe he just doesn't like flies it
1: scared him really bad when he was young, that reveal of the fly head.
0: His voice, was just going to be him crying, <laughs> trying to talk and just... Fuck you guys, all right? <laughs>
1: all right, so that was the original fly. That concludes the illustrious autumn of remakes, which was a lot of fun to do. Uh, what's next on the itinerary?
0: Next on the itinerary, so we are done with remakes. Adventureland? It's Adventureland. Fuck yeah. Great movie. It is uh whatever the director's name is, his follow-up to Super Bad.
1: Oh shit. That's really gonna bother me a lot. Is it Greg Mottola? I believe so. Ryan Reynolds playing the role he was born to play, just being a dickhead.
0: Deadpool? I didn't realize he was Deadpool in Adventureland.
1: <clears throat> is that the role he was born to play?
0: If you <laughs> if you go by the consensus. Dog,
1: I didn't realize that Deadpool 2 was the highest grossing R rated movie of all time.
0: Still, I thought Joker had uh so it like
1: second, like. excuse me, but um, it was like way up there. I always thought it was Passion of the Christ, but that's like a long time ago. Yeah. I got to update my
0: superheroes have defeated Christ.
1: <laughs> it's been proven. Fucking hell! Just tell me who directed this movie,
0: Greg Mottola. Why don't you do Gangster Land? Maybe
1: it was directed by Greg Mottola.
0: Zombieland? No, that's Ruben Fleischer. Never mind. Strike that from the record. But yeah, Greg Mottola,
1: director of Paul Day Trippers. I've seen Paul. That was all right. Paul's, yeah, Paul's a good time. The comeback, super bad. Anyway, Adventureland <laughs> on deck. Kristen Stewart making her Contrarians debut, I believe. Very underrated actress.
0: Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg also. Debuting. Yeah, we never done
1: the Social Network. Yeah, we. I mean, I don't know if I could ever trash that movie.
0: We briefly mentioned, uh, you know, Dawn yeah, yeah, Dawn of Justice. Yeah, Dawn of
1: Justice. That'll uh, that'll be next time when we pick back up on the uh, numeric episodes on the March to One Hundred. Watchmen. Uh, for the now, though, closing with plugs, as we always do, uh, first and foremost, the Festive Years, who always provide our opening and closing tracks, opening, last stand, closing summer of 99, thefestiveyears.com. I, I guess, I mean, we got to give Hands props for our logo.
0: <laughs> we won't give him props for his take on the fly, but we'll give him props for the awesome logo he designed for us and uh, his awesome podcast about Peruvian current affairs. That's Nacion Combi. You can find it in any podcatchers. He also has a podcast in English uh, called Living in Peru about people that are not from Peru and live in Peru. Uh, That's on iVox. Uh, you can contact him if you need logos, if you want to talk to him about the fly. Um, on Twitter, he's at Mildemonios. That's M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S. Uh, he also has a Hotmail address, Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. He also has all his other stuff on his website, Mildemonios.pe, P-E for Peru. I don't know. This is This is not the end of it. There will be a follow-up.
1: There will be. This is like a long, arching story at this point.
0: <laughs> it is like, like Chaz and American Hustle. It's just
1: <laughs> It'll pay off at some point. <laughs>
0: yeah, Episode 200 is going to be a commentary on the original Fly <laughs> featuring Hans.
1: Uh, I, I don't really have anything to plug. I've watched The Office and Parks and Rec too many times, so I'm starting Cheers from the beginning.
0: Have you ever seen all of Cheers?
1: No, I've seen none of Cheers.
0: None of Cheers? No,
1: I'm about a dozen episodes in so far. Do you finally get what people say? Norm. Yes. And <laughs> Shelly Long, Norman. Um
0: <laughs> do, do you get now the, the whole, uh, fuck, what are their names? Diane and Sam. Okay. Do you, when people say like the Sam and Diane, like, the yeah,
1: name, I mean, I'm, I'm, picking up on everything so far i mean updates are to come i already have some thoughts but i, I want to get a few seasons into it they got 11 seasons out of it that's the first thing i saw on netflix and then like i watched four episodes and like okay how do they get 11 seasons out of this and the, the answer is you so know, then i assumed it was like sex in the city seasons where it was like six episodes <laughs> each i'm like nope 24 episodes no. each season
0: but i i have i've watched bits and pieces you know episodes here and there from throughout the entire run uh, you do know that basically there's cast changes.
1: Oh yeah, like Woody Harrelson's in it. Kelsey Grammer comes around. Yeah, so and
0: uh, um, oh my god, Kirstie Alley. Oh really? Yeah, yeah.
1: Nice. Yeah, man. The Norm character is really sad. <laughs> <laughs> Just a drunk.
0: I mean, they all are drunk. Yeah, but
1: he like he's the one that, like hates his wife, hates his job, all that. But hey. Sometimes you got to go where all the problems are the same where everybody knows your name. <laughs> Updates to come on my quest through cheers, but that's that's all I got.
0: I'm Why are you watching cheers when you have 20 hours of Marvel Universe stuff I'm to get? I'm to-
1: <laughs> prepping for that. I'm probably actually going to start on that this weekend. Oh, that's exciting. I got a month to get through this shit. So.
0: That's that's very exciting. I want to hear about it. Even if I'm in Peru at the time visiting my brother, I want to hear how this is going. Yeah. Um, I have, I have two quick plugs. Uh, One is just on the category of things that make us feel awesome. So there's this guy on Twitter, Nick McAllister. Uh I I don't know if you saw the tweet. I retweeted it, but so I guess he runs a a website that's about autism. And I, I think, well, I know based on what I read that he is autistic. Uh, And so the website is just, from what I gather, I kind of like browse a little bit. It's just about what it's like being autistic and kind of like blog posts about, you know, kind of like helping people that are autistic with just articles about it. And people that are not autistic kind of like be also in the mindset of, oh, this is what it's like and just kind of help people, I guess, uh, coexist better. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he had one blog that was about dealing with stress and it was just listing you know what it's like to get stressed when you're autistic and uh ways of coping with it ways to you know what can you do to de-stress and one of the things was listen to podcasts and he lists a bunch of he's like "Ah, these are some that i listen to and of course he lists the contrarians nice and i was like we are officially a (laughs) de-stressor i'll take it yeah it made me feel so good so uh uh thank you for listening nick uh, hopefully you're listening to this <laughs> really kind of obscure movie episode we're doing. <laughs> uh, and then last weekend, you know, we're recording way in advance, so this episode I think comes out I don't know right before December, November mm-hmm. twenty. I don't know. Uh, but as we record this, the Austin Film Festival is just in the rearview mirror, and we close it up by going to see Terminator the Musical not associated to the Austin Film Festival at all, but it was also happening downtown. So uh, my friends and I went over there, sort of on a whim. It was packed. It was the last show. And it was, Alex, it was amazing. It was nice. better than all the Terminator sequels. <laughs> uh, it At first, I thought it was just going to be the first Terminator in musical form. And I felt like they were going through the story really quickly. But no, that's because the first act is Terminator One, second act is Terminator 2. Nice. I know what you're wondering. Does uh, Dyson get a musical number? <laughs> and the answer is yes. Amazing. It's, it's so good. They, it, you know, it was a small theater and it's obviously, it's a parody. So it's a lot of like silly humor. Yeah. But they're really good singers and they were really taking it seriously. So... Uh, they're like emotional moments. <laughs> in nice. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is my favorite. To me, the high point was uh, in Terminator 2. Uh, you know how there's that moment when uh, John Connor, it kind of, it clicks that Arnold has to do whatever he says. Yeah. And so in the musical, it clicks. And then they have this musical number where it was basically, well, you have to do what I what I say. And, and he starts doing things and Arnold has to imitate him. But it's a tap dancing number. so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's awesome.
0: John Connor, they hand him a, a hat, a top hat and a cane. And he starts doing this thing. And then Arnold, it's Arnold's turn and he'll do it. It's just, dude, it was so funny. I was laughing really hard. Uh, everybody was. So it was it was great. And of course, it's no longer, it wasn't playing anymore the day after. And of yeah. course, now you're listening to this and it's being at least a month. <laughs> but uh, if it comes to your city. Track it down. There seems to be maybe the potential for a Terminator resurgence after this new movie that's coming out. In which case, I would imagine they're gonna keep touring. Uh, so, if you see it, if you see a flyer for it, if you see it online, just that's coming to your town, buy tickets. You're gonna have a great time.
1: All right, and I think this will be the last episode we get this plug in for uh, Other Worlds Austin Sci-Fi Film Festival comes to the quaint little town of Austin, Texas. Uh, emanates from the Galaxy Theater and uh, is it December 3rd?
0: No, December 5th through December 8th. Okay. So as you're listening, assuming that you listen to this episode, as soon as it drops, you still have time to go to otherworldsfilmfest.com, buy your badge, and then go to whatever, wherever you need to go to book your tickets to Austin, <laughs> assuming you don't live in Austin.
1: Yeah. Come hang out with me and Julio. We'll and, and read. And read.
0: Well, Reed will usually be just behind He's the He's usually merch. working the gimmick stand, yeah, yeah.
1: selling merch. So. Uh, Alright, so that wraps up the autumn of remakes in December. <laughs> uh, for,
0: for us. Yeah. No, for everybody, never mind. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, moving back on to the numeric episodes next time, we'll catch you for Adventureland. Uh, but we do appreciate you all tuning into The Fly. Uh, we appreciate hands for uh, using the reverse psychology on us. <laughs> Most of all, uh, we do appreciate y'all listening to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time.